All right. I want to begin with a question today that is relevant to the message that we're going to talk about. It's this, is what is the difference between knowing about someone and actually knowing them or being in a personal relationship with them? What's the difference between just knowing about someone, all about them, and actually being in a relationship with them? Every once in a while in Wilmington, North Carolina, we'll get waves uh, for surfing. Uh, it's about, I think I've got it down to about eight to ten times a year, and, and, and like real good waves. And, and you have to just, you got to have a job where you can just abandon your relational responsibilities, abandon your job for like a four-hour window to really get it. And so it's a, it's a great life goal. Uh, but anyways, when this actually lines up and happens, I'll go out surfing and I'll see a hundred friends, people that I don't ever see in Wilmington, but I see them out in the water. And some of these people I've gotten to know over 20 years, and I could name them to you. They could name me. I could tell you if they're married or single. I could tell you if they have kids. I could tell you what they do for work. I could tell you if they're a good surfer or not. I can tell you if they take people's waves or if they're generous. I can tell you all kinds of things about them. But when I back up and think about it, we're not really that close of friends. They're more like acquaintances. You know, but, but we, have, we know a lot about each other, and we like each other, um, and, and we have mutual respect for each other, which is great because uh, my friends, my close friends, always make fun of me because I talk to everybody in the water. I got a big cheesy smile, and I'm just talking to everybody. And um, people share waves with me. I love it. And, and so, but, but that, that's just, that's not deep friendship. But, you know, deep friendship involves mutual trust, mutual acceptance, um, mutual understanding of one another, mutual love. It involves knowing one another in a way where, you're, where, where you spend time together and you know one another's character, you know, the good side and the bad side. That's, a, that's what a real relationship involves. It's having firsthand knowledge of someone, not just knowing facts about someone. Now, I know Lindsay, my wife. We've been together a long time, but we know the, the, all the different parts about each other. And so there's a difference. There is a difference just between knowing about someone and knowing someone in a deeper way, in a, in a friendship way. And so today's message is all about that difference. It's the difference of knowing about Jesus and actually being in a relationship with Jesus. The difference between you know, hanging around and knowing all about the gospel and talk, could say some cool things about Jesus, talk about how he is, but actually knowing him where you talk to him, you feel confident about your relationship. You spent time together. There's a big difference, and that difference determines everything. And so this message is incredibly important. And so if you're just joining us, you're in the middle of a long journey we've been on in the Scriptures. We are going through all four Gospels chronologically, in, in, in the chronological order as the events unfolded in history. And so with this, um, last week was probably one of the most encouraging messages that I've preached in a long time just because it was, 
It was what the scripture was about. It was such an encouraging message. It was basically uh, Jesus saves you and carries you through the whole thing and you can't lose your salvation. And it was in John 10. This week is a little more intense. And it's like a good compliment to that message. But the, the, and and I, I was thinking about this. I would never pick a message like today if I was just going to do like a topical sermon. I wouldn't be like, oh, we're going we're gonna to talk about something really, really heavy. So I, I say all that as just a disclaimer that buckle up. <laughs> so let's jump in to this message today. Luke chapter 13, verses 22 through 30. And we're going to use the New Living Translation and also use the Message Translation. So it says, Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching as he went, always pressing on, towards Jerusalem. So in the story we're in right now, it's, it's at the point of time where Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem to the Passover festival, where he knew that he would be giving his life as in and be crucified for the sins of the world. And so I want to put up this little map here because these are somewhat helpful, but also show you how, how confusing the Gospels can be. We just finished up in John chapter 10, and at the, the end of 10, like happens many times that Jesus teaches, the Pharisees got mad and they wanted to kill him. And so it says he, he left Jerusalem and was in December at Hanukkah festival. That's how we know what where, where it was. And it said he left and went to, to, the, to the wilderness where John was baptizing people. And so that's up there somewhere. And so today where we are, he was pressing, making his way to Jerusalem to the Passover festival. But it's a little confusing because he, so we're in Perea right now, this, this, this message today. But then he ends up going to, to Jerusalem again, but then something happens and he ends up leaving again. But then he'll make his way back for the real crucifixion. So it's a little confusing. And I've got like 10 of these maps all throughout the Gospels, and it's just a big circle. It's like Bible travel is really confusing. They didn't have GPS. So, so that's where we are in the story if you're interested in that kind of thing. So let's get into the, to the, to the details of the message. Verse 23. So as he was traveling, someone asked him, Lord, will only a few people be saved? He replied, work hard to enter the narrow door to the kingdom of God. For many will try to enter, but will fail. When the master of the house has locked the door, it will be too late. You will stand outside the door knocking, begging, pleading, Lord, open the door for us. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you come from. Then you will say, but we ate and we drank with you. You taught in our streets. We're familiar with you. And he will reply, I tell you, I don't know you. And I don't know where you come from. Get away from me, all you who do evil. If you thought that was bad, verse 28 gets real bad. And then he says what will happen at the end of life. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For you will see Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and all the prophets in, entering into the kingdom of God. But you will be thrown out. And people will come from all over the world, from the east, the west, and the north, and the south, and they will take their places at the banquet table of the kingdom of God, the feast of the Lamb. Verse 36. And note this. Some who seem least important will now be the greatest 
And some who are the greatest will now be the least important. And so I think this guy who asked that question is really regretting asking the question. So everything I read about this, this question is like the guy was kind of being smug. He was a Jew, and he was basically what he was saying was like, Jesus, you know, are only a few of us, you know, he's pointing to himself, are only a few of us Jews, kind of insiders to the people of God, going to be saved? And he was expecting Jesus to go, right on, you're in. Only a few of you, the rest of the world, these, these pagans, these Gentiles, these people who are not Jewish, they're done. But that's not what Jesus said. So this guy was feeling real good about himself until Jesus just called him out and called a lot of people out. And I think he probably like just disappeared into the crowd somewhere. So let's look. We, we got to understand this message because this is a hard teaching. You know, what is the narrow door to the kingdom of God? What is the narrow door to the kingdom of God? And what does Jesus mean by you must work hard to enter it? What does he mean by that? You know, the, the original, or not the original, but another translation says strive. Strive, work hard to enter the kingdom of God. The, the original word means agonize. Like work so hard. If you're a coach, you want to see your players agonize. You don't want to see them loafing. You want to see some sweat coming out of their pores when they're playing, right? And so that word, it means agonize to enter into the kingdom of God. And so the, right off the, the, the bat, on this side of history, we have the whole scripture. We have Paul that quote, that, that says it's not by works, it's by faith alone. There's nothing you can do to earn your way to God. And I'll, I'll say, if you did not hear last week's message, you need to go back and listen to it. I don't advertise my own messages that much, but it's a good message and it's a good part, part of Scripture. But it's all about the grace of God. And you need to understand that as a foundation to be able to understand this message. And so I encourage you to go back. It's online. But, but right here when Jesus says, agonize, work hard, strive, you know, what we like to do is we like to soften this up and go, oh, well, well, if you know, look at strive, it doesn't really mean work hard. He just means loaf. He means Jesus has done it all, so just loaf into the kingdom of God. And I'm using that voice to be annoying. Um, it's like just loaf. It doesn't mean strive. No, no, that translation doesn't mean work hard. No, 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 you don't work hard. And so we, we try to change it, but that's the, he, Jesus said it. And so I've got to, I want to have hard questions answered. And so my hard question is, is Jesus saying that there is a chance that we might not make it into the kingdom of God if we don't work hard enough? Because he literally says, strive, work hard, agonize to enter into the narrow door of the kingdom of God. And then he says, some will try to make it, but then they won't. I'm not feeling good about my salvation at this point. And so is Jesus suggesting that there's a chance we might not make it into the kingdom of God if we don't work hard enough, if we don't last? We need to know the answer. And the, the short answer is this, is no, all caps, exclamation point, maybe three exclamation points. The short answer is no. That's not what he's saying. But here's what we're going to do. We're going to, this, this is a big question, a lot of hype I just created. But we're going to set this aside for a second. 
And we're going to circle back to these questions about what is the narrow door, what does it mean, and how do we enter it? What does he mean by, by work hard? We're going to come back and finish the message by answering that question because he, comes, he kind of answers it in the middle of the scripture. So let's, let's continue reading before we get all lost in the details. So my question following this is, why didn't many people make it? I want to know this. Because Jesus says, work hard. He's, 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 so, so we've got to understand something here. Jesus is traveling. It's not there anywhere, but he's going down towards Jerusalem. And there was a lot of people. He, had, he caused a lot of attention. So there was a lot of people traveling. There were smug Pharisees and Jews who just thought they were safe because they had hung around in the crowd. There were um, people who were just like, what's Jesus going to do next? And they wanted to see the next miracle. They wanted to see him get the, the next word or embarrassing word on the, on the Pharisees. He want, you know, they were just checking things out. They were excited. They had nothing else better to do. They wanted to be entertained. Then there was people who were like genuinely wanted to follow Jesus, but they weren't committed. And when, when it was going to get hard, like he told them it was going to get hard, they were out. But they were hanging around at this point. They were there for this message. And then there was the, the ones who truly believed. They're truly committed. And so Jesus was giving a warning to everyone there. You're going to follow me? You need to know the whole truth is what he's, he's saying. And, and so that's why he says some will try, but they won't make it. And then he, then he explains it. He says, he says, when the master of the house locks the door, it'll be too late. You will stand outside knocking and pleading, Lord, open the door for us. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you come from. Then they'll say, well, wait a second, we ate with you, we drank with you, we were in the streets when you taught. And he'll say, look, I don't know you. I don't know where you come from. Get away from me, all you who do evil. I like how the message says, it says there will be, well, first he says, a lot of you are going to assume you will sit down at God's salvation banquet. You're going to, you're assuming that you're good with God. That's a scary statement. Just because you've been hanging around the neighborhood all your lives, you've been going to church all your lives, you're going to assume you're good. And he says, well, one day you're going to be banging on the door wanting to get in, but you'll find the door locked. And the master's saying, sorry, you're not on my guest list. That's a scary statement. You'll protest, but we've known you all our lives, only to be interrupted with his abrupt, your kind of knowing can hardly be called knowing. You don't know the first thing about me. And so right there, we, we learn a lot about why many people, not a few, why many, maybe most people don't make it into the kingdom of God. We need to pay attention to this. He tells us right there that it's because they didn't have a relationship with him. He said, I don't know you. But the reason they didn't make it into the kingdom of God is because they didn't have a relationship with it. It wasn't about the fact that they didn't work hard enough. It's not that they didn't meet, meet the, make the cut. It didn't have anything to do with their effort. It's that they truly didn't know 
Jesus. That is the ultimate reason why you do not make it into the kingdom of God. For those of us who grew up in southern church, you didn't hear about the kingdom of God. The translation of the kingdom of God is heaven. And so the reason people didn't make it is because they didn't have a relationship with God. It had nothing to do with their, their, their hard work. But here's the thing. The sad thing to me is this is a sobering message. The sad thing about this message is many people, these people assumed they were good because they had been hanging around. They assumed they were good with God because they'd been hanging around all their lives only to be told, you're not good. And so they were surprised. It's one thing to be like, forget God, forget his people, forget church, and to go do your own thing. You're kind of like, I know it's coming. I know it's coming, so I'm going to make the most of my life today. That's, that's one thing where you're just not hanging out. And you're just like, I'm a rebel. I'm over it. I'm going to be on the outside. That's who I am. But it's a whole, it's a scary thing to assume that you are good because you've been hanging out. And I think it's interesting that Jesus says the situation is that many people, many people are assuming they're good because they've been hanging out. So don't get it confused. It's not because they didn't, it wasn't their church attendance. It wasn't their service. It wasn't a lack of something. It was they didn't know Jesus. They talked about Jesus when all the people were around. They could hold a good conversation. They knew scripture. They knew the drill. They really didn't know Jesus. And so that's a, that's a point of consideration. And man, it's, it's a heavy thing. God wants you to have 100% confidence that you are in him if you are in him. But he also wants you to have 100% confidence that you're not in him if you are not in him. We like to only talk about the positive. But you've got to deal with this as a foundation. So my question to you is, do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Or are you assuming that you're good and that you know him because of something? You know, I've heard people literally say this, my grandmother has incredible faith. And they say, she has always prayed for me. That's a good thing. But your grandmother's prayers didn't save you. Or my family has strong faith. That's great. You were fortunate to grow up in an environment where your, your parents believed. That's a good thing. You got a better start than anyone else. The question is, do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ do you know him, not just what your parents have said about him? Have you made your faith your own? Or are you assuming for some reason that you've been hanging around the neighborhood, it's all good? This is such a heavy question, and you need to consider, are you confident that you know Jesus Christ? Because the good news is this, this is last week's message. If you reach out to him, he will grab hold of you and not let you go but he won't grab hold of you unless you reach out. And so do you have a relationship with God? Because many, many, this, this really hurts my heart, man. Many people are assuming they're good, and they're not. And they're going to be so surprised on that day. 
And this, is, and, and this leads into the next section, which is so heavy. This is what's going to happen to those who don't make it. He doesn't ease into it. He just says it. Weeping, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Weeping is deep sorrow. Gnashing of teeth is deep anger and rage. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth from the separation of a loving God. And they will, in the worst part probably, not just the separation, the weeping and gnashing of teeth, but seeing and having regret from what you're missing out on. Because you know that verse in the Bible that says, on that day, every knee will bow and confess Jesus Christ is Lord. I love that because there's some people that are really difficult. They're so arrogant. I'm, I can be arrogant. But, but it's like they're so arrogant. They're like, oh, I'm, I don't need that. I don't need that. I don't need that. On that day, everything's going to be made clear that Jesus Christ is who he says he is. And you're going to see him as in glory. And you're, you're not going to have any arrogance. It's going to be pure humility on your face, confessing him as Lord. But you know what? He says the door will be shut and you will plead and beg to be let in. He'll say, I don't know you. You're not on my guest list. That's so heavy. It's so heavy. And this line in the message where he says, and at all the time you'll be on the outside looking in and wondering, what happened? Man, I feel so bad. I want the, everyone to know. Because I don't want nobody assuming they're good. And then they're like, what? What happened? That's what he says. You'll be looking in and going, what happened? I thought it was good. I did the thing. And this is the great reversal that the last in line will be put ahead of the line. And the so-called first will be end up last. Man, that's so heavy. And, and I don't, I don't want to you know, preach this message, but I want to because you need to hear it. And, oh, man, like in our culture, here's what we've done, and I've, 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 I've like done this, and I've had to undo it. But when we, when we hear something really heavy, when something's really sad, when something's really hard and, and causes vulnerability, we make a joke to bring it back to the surface and to get out of the feeling of, of the heaviness, of the truth. We make a joke to not have to, to look at the thing we just saw that was so scary. And, and, and it's so tempting to do that, but it's, it's not. I mean, we should be weeping for those who will not make it. I've got friends. You've got friends who are not going to make it. They're on the road to hell. Weeping and gnashing of teeth is the description of hell. Jesus said the road to hell, to destruction, is wide. And the path is easy. But the road to life, eternal life, is narrow. And it's hard and it's difficult. And so most people are headed to hell. But there's opportunity. There's opportunity in life. It's at the end of life, the door is closed. But there's opportunity. And so as I'm saying these words, I'm thinking of people that I've thought about them all week long that are on their way to hell. 
Some of them are assuming they're good, and they're not. Some of them are just straight up over church and over God and don't believe. But either way, they are on the way to destruction, and you have those people in your life. That should unnerve you. Only thing you can, not the only thing, the first step is pray. God would open their eyes, but you have a part. I have a part. Because this is true. It's kind of like, let's flip this a second and think about it. It's like a positive thing is like, well, my friends who've been to Bali, they're like, dude, Bali is like heaven on earth. These people have been to Iceland. And all these places, it's, like, it's heaven on earth. It's like, you get this incredible food for really cheap. You get these incredible views. The waves are amazing. You get waves here eight times a year. They have waves every day. Why don't we live in Bali? And so Bali's amazing. You got to go to Bali. They've seen, they've tasted, they've experienced Bali. Have you ever been somewhere in the world that absolutely stinks? And you're like, make sure you never go to either the D.C. airport or the New York airport. Have you ever been to Mexico and not been in water? Have you ever been to Africa? Like, I've been to Africa. I've been to Kenya, Rwanda. In the Congo. Congo, you walk around and there's literally 10-foot hole. It looks like hell on earth. The people are beautiful. But there was war there and they didn't have the infrastructure and all the money flowing in to rebuild it. You're walking around on this beautiful Belgian city that is war-torn with all these beautiful people. The, the environment is crazy. It's hell on earth. They have tribes in the jungle that literally come out and rape and pillage kids. They live on hell on earth. They got, and what's unfortunate is a side note, it's like they got the most resources in the entire world, but the people are held down. It's, it's, a, it's hell on earth. People are beautiful, but their, their environment sucks. You're like, don't, don't go there unless you're on a purpose. Don't go there unless you're going there for a purpose. Like, it makes it real, like, this is real. The road to destruction is wide and the path is easy. So I'll ask you again, are you in a relationship with Jesus Christ? Are you in a relationship with Jesus Christ? Or are you assuming that you're good for some reason? Are you in a relationship with Jesus? Are you confident? Are you confident that you're in a saving relationship with Jesus Christ? So I want to I come back and circle back around to that beginning line in verse 24 and kind of make a summary and then we'll make some application and land the plane because it's, it's, it's so good. We need to understand this. So what is the narrow door of the kingdom of God and how do you enter it? We've kind of laid this foundation, but, but it, another way to ask that question if you're unfamiliar with the language of the kingdom of God, this narrow door of the kingdom of God, another way to say it is, how do you begin a relationship with God? Or how do you become a disciple of Jesus Christ? These are all Jesus' words. How do you begin a relationship with God? How do you begin to become a disciple of Jesus Christ? How do you enter the kingdom of God is the way he liked to talk about it a lot. We, we know the deal is, and, and I think this message has laid the foundation for this, is Jesus Christ is the narrow door. The gospel is the narrow door to the kingdom of God. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so we know this, like Jesus um, cannot coexist because he said, I'm the, he's exclusive. He said, I'm the way. It's one way. 
I'm the only way because I'm the only one out of all the ones who claim to be God's that has given my life to cover your sin and bring you back into a saving relationship with Jesus, with God. And so if he's a narrow way, he's the only way. He's exclusive. And the only way to enter into his narrow door is by believing and confessing that Jesus is Savior and Lord or Lord and Savior. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God rose him from the dead, then you will be saved. Anyone who calls on the name of Jesus will be saved. That is the only way to enter into the narrow door of the kingdom of God. It has nothing to do with your works. That is the foundation, period. But it still doesn't, and so that, that's the narrow door, that's, that, that's, and that's how you enter it. That's the foundation. That's how you begin a relationship with Jesus. You know this. And that's the whole message today. But I still want to just end talking about, what is he talking about working hard to enter? What does Jesus mean by that? Another way to ask that question to go along with the kingdom of God language is, what does life in the kingdom of God require? Like life, once you're in the kingdom of God, what does it require? What does a relationship with God require once you have a relationship with God? Because we've stopped talking about we're like, oh, raise my hand, I got my heaven card, and now I'm going to go build my kingdom. Another way to ask the question is, what does it look like? What does the discipleship to Jesus require? But what does he mean when he says, strive, work hard, agonize to enter the kingdom of God? What does life, once you have a relationship, require? This is so important. I'm going to lay it out here. Hard work. Kent Hughes has this commentary. It's pretty good. He says, what are, we are not saved by effort, but we will not believe without effort. That's a good line. Dallas Willard says, grace is opposed to earning, but not to effort. Meaning, you can't earn your grace, but there's effort involved. All right? And so Paul, the Apostle Paul in Philippians 2 said, work hard to show the results of your salvation, for God is working in you. This is what we talked about last week. He's working in you, giving you new desire to live a new, new way of life. And he's also giving you the power to do it. Please him. That's what he says. And so the, the, the image I, wanna, I want you to have when you think of what is Jesus talking about when he says, work hard, strive, agonize, agonize to enter the kingdom of God. We're not talking about entering. We're talking about living in the kingdom of God. That's what we're talking about now. Because the only way to enter is believe and confess, right? Everybody got that? Amen? But what does life look like after you believe and confess? Does it look like loafing? Does it look like chilling? You know, what is it? I'll say this. It doesn't look spastic. It doesn't look like, all right, we're going to make it happen, and we're going to be on adrenaline for the next 80 years. It doesn't look like that. That You cannot force it. The Bible says, not by force, not by power, not by strength, but by the Spirit of God. So a good question is, what does it look like to live in the kingdom of God for your entire life? What does it look like to be a disciple of Jesus over the course of your entire life? What does it look like to be in a relationship with God that is healthy and growing over the course of your entire life? Here's the image. It's a marathon, not a sprint. It's a marathon. Think of running. How many people in here hate running? I hate running. But I just started running. I haven't run for years. I've all, I'm, I'm lazy at heart, I think. 
I used to think I was disciplined, but running just exposes that I'm not that disciplined. Because I've always done things where you can force it. You can always just sprint to make things happen. You can make a play by just getting a bunch of energy and adrenaline and make it happen. Running, there's no cheating. There's no cheating. Some of the most successful people in the world are runners because they're robots. And so, there, so me and Lindsay have been running, and Lindsay is like a chill robot, but she's awesome. She's a very great human being. But she's, she's training with a running group, and so she's learned how to pace. And so we've started running on the loop, and we went, I went from zero to, to 5K. And so we're running around the loop, and I'm like, I'm like a squirrel. I'm a, I'm a distracted. I'm like, oh, look at that couple. They're in front of us. We're going to beat them. Let's, let's go. Let's sprint up, take them out, and that's mission one. And we're making this whole run fun. She's like, no, 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 do not do that. She's like, stop. I'm like, no, Lynch, we got to beat them. She's like, just, I'm not going to run with you if you keep doing this. And she said, we are holding, we are on a training plan, and we are working this out. And so I stuck with her, but I would, like, beg her to pass people. Uh, this one girl came flying out of her. She literally parked in front of us in the side parking lot, came running out like she was getting chased by an animal. I was like, we got to beat her. Come on. And then she was walking, so we caught up to her. She started running as soon as we caught up to her. I was like, let's go. She's like, we're on a training program. And so I, I abandoned the training program. We were running. Me, Lindsay, and a friend of ours, Gabe, were running. He's faster than both of us. But he said, our last mile, we're going to go um, sub eight. I said, all right, we're doing this. And so the last mile, sub eight, I am dying. I'm dying. And I'm like, oh, it did nothing. I'm like, I got, you can't do, oh, for a mile. It does nothing. So I tried, I ran, and then I was like, oh. I was like, I can't let me, Lindsay catch up to me. No, 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 no. So I, I finished 10 seconds behind it, but I learned this incredible principle. I've never learned this in my entire life. I've been missing out. You can't force it. It's the steady, sustained Effort over a long distance is what gets the job done. You cannot force it. It's steady steps. And what's incredible about life with God, he allows you to just fall over and die and like sit there for years. And the guy, I'm ready again. And then get up and continue on the journey. But Frederick Nietzsche had this incredible description of Christians. He thought this was a bad thing. He said, Christianity is like a long obedience in the same direction. He's like a bunch of losers. He thought Christians were idiots. He's like, it's, it's like a long obedience in the, in the same direction. And, and Eugene Peter was like, yeah, dummy. The road is wide and easy to hell. But the road is hard and long to life. And so you know what Eugene Peterson, who, who translated the message, did? He named that the title of his discipleship book, a long obedience in the same direction to make Nietzsche roll over in his grave. It's incredible. So then, this is it. What is the hard, I think this is, so I love the running example. I think that's pretty cool. It's helpful. But this is even better. The message defines the hard work this way. It's so good. It's so Christian. It's so discipleship. It's so by the Spirit of God working hard, that mystery. What does that look like? The way to life to God is vigorous. That's that Greek word which means agonize. It's vigorous. It requires your total attention. That's it. The way to God is vigorous. It takes hard work. It requires your total attention. It's not force, it's not sprints, it's a long walk. It's not even running in the same direction for many years. 
by the grace of God. But if you don't walk, if you don't practice your faith, you don't grow. You don't make progress. It doesn't show that you know God. And so I think that's a great picture. So my question to you is this, are you giving your total attention to God? Are you giving your total attention to your life in God right now? We know these are, these are penetrating questions. We know what we're giving our attention to. Are you giving your total attention to your God? Or do you have your God life just over here in this little box and it's real cute, it's real organized? Because the life of God is messy as, as can be. The life of God deals with your whole self, all the details of your life. Are you giving your total attention to your life with God? What would that look like to give your total attention to God in your daily life? What would it look like? How would it change the way you approach your life? Because that is what God is going for. The message translation of Romans 1, 12, 1 through 2 is, therefore, because all these great foundational truths about your salvation are true, they've been given to you in grace. Therefore, take your everyday ordinary life. You're eating, you're sleeping, you're walking around life, your work, your relationships, and lay them as an offering to God. Give your total attention to God. Are you giving your total attention to your life in God? What would that actually look like? Do you know Jesus Christ personally? When you're alone, not when you're with your friends, are you confident that Jesus is your friend, that you know him, that you can talk to him? If you don't, reach out to him. Believe in him. And he will grab a hold of you and never, ever let you go. Who is somebody in your life you need to share this with? That you need to go and share this with? Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your grace. Your grace is so good to us. God, I pray that we would leave, for those who know you here today, they wouldn't leave here with doubt, but they would have confidence that they are yours, that they are a child of God. Your sheep know your voice. They follow you. You never, ever let them go. No one can snatch them out of your hand. Give them confidence about that. For those who are unsure and don't know you, God, lead them into a saving relationship with you so they can be confident today and forever. I ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.